This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Today, we are diving into people's stories, which I think is one of the most powerful things is just hearing from other individuals. You know, we can hear from experts all day long, but actually just hearing from people who have been there, done that is just so, so amazing. There's something really special about it. And today I have a special woman with me. Her name is Maureen. Hi, Maureen. Welcome. Hi, Annie. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. This is really exciting. These are these are my by far and away favorites. I mean, it's it's great to get to talk to other authors and whatnot, but getting to talk to just have have good conversations with real people is is my favorite thing to do. So anyway, we're going to start kind of back way back when, if you don't mind. So why don't you just kind of introduce yourself and talk about who Maureen was um, sort of before you even started questioning your drinking? Where were you at in your life and, and, and what was even your first first few drinks like? Well, my first few drinks were horrible. Um, I was 18, and uh, my friends and I got hold of a bottle of rye whiskey from one of our parents' liquor cabinets, and um, it was not a pleasant experience, and I really didn't drink again until I started working in the restaurant industry, where it was just so much a part of the culture that at about age 24, 25, um, I started drinking on a really regular basis and um, went off and on. I had three kids. I stopped drinking when I was pregnant and breastfeeding. Um, But then it would start to creep up again until um, it became something that was, I was just doing every day and tried to cut back and sometimes successfully for a while, but it always crept back in. So when I made the decision to actually quit for good, um, after reading your book, Annie, um, it was easy. It was easy to do. The hard part was the decision. But once that was made, um, it was really quite effortless. And I'm just so happy that I made this decision and life looks so different now. Oh, that's so awesome. So let's talk about some of the, you know, initial you know, I talk a lot about the cognitive dissonance, the thing that happens where there's mm-hmm. this one point in time where you're just kind of like going on drinking and you're not giving much thought to it because it's just kind of part of life. And and the interesting thing is how little kind of mental space drinking takes up for, for me, it was kind of a significant amount of time. I mean, it was a drinking was not a big deal in my life for many years. Um, and then, and then something changed where it became a bigger deal. And I think that often that's triggered by when we start to drink to relieve stress. You know, if you're just drinking purely socially, alcohol actually has a slightly different effect on you than if you're drinking to relieve stress because alcohol is an anesthetic. And so it, Mm -hmm. um, it makes you not feel the stress. So it, it feels, it feels a lot better when you're drinking to relieve stress, alcohol can really numb that. And then all of a sudden, um, drinking becomes something that is, is taking up a lot more of your, your mental thoughts. And then something happens where you start to say, Oh, wait a second, I'm not happy with this. And so what was that? What was that like for you? Like, where, where were you when you kind of um, things changed? I think it was when my dad died, which was 11 years ago. And it hit me really hard. And I was in very intense grief 
for the weeks following. And I was drinking every day. And I felt quite justified in doing it. I was going through an extremely rough patch. And um, it was at that time, after weeks and weeks of drinking every single day, and probably close to a bottle of wine every day, or, you know, the better part of a bottle of wine every day, that um, I realized, wow, I've become very dependent. Um, and there were other times too, like going on vacation or holidays with family and friends or even going away for a weekend. And at the end of it thinking, wow, I have to get home and dry out. I have to get home and recover. And it occurred to me that, wow, what a stupid way to spend these times that are supposed to be relaxing and fun and wonderful and feeling hungover for a lot of the time. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, your dad dying, like so many, it does feel like for often with drinking, you know, it's it's very much a, a, a cycle that is more over time, but there isn't a lot yep. to get us drinking every single day um, socially. Like, you know, we're really not yeah. going out every single day, right? And, and, and the two things you hit on, some instance of, of tragedy or high stress where we start to drink to do that or some instance of, um, you know, kind of vacation holiday where for some bizarre reason we've made it like this expectation that, you know, all inclusive yeah. holiday, we're going to go get tanked Yay. every day of the week, yep. you know. Um, so it's, it's just a very, very common thing, especially the trauma. And almost every person I talked to had had that moment of, you know, whether it was you know, divorce or something happening with their children or a death in their family, or even, you know, people who started drinking at a very young age, some childhood trauma. And then you have that drink and it relieves stress in a way that, you know, a lot of people's first drink, it was just really no big deal and it wasn't great. And that's because there was nothing to numb, you know, there was Mm -hmm. nothing to numb. So Mm -hmm. you didn't, you didn't feel significantly better. So it, it became something, um, It's very interesting, though, and I want to hear more, but I want to make this one little point because you talked about the vacation, right? So even Mm -hmm. if you're drinking just socially for years and years and years, if you overdo it one night, your natural instinct is then to stop the next day and probably stop for a week or two. So you always hear that, oh, man, I really went out on that Mm -hmm. Saturday night. I went to that wedding. And then the person in question knows it made them feel so horrible that they stop drinking for a few weeks and then they start off really slowly again because they're like, Oh gosh, that was yeah. miserable. Right. But then yeah. you're on vacation and it's expected that you drink the next day. And even though it's kind of repulsive to your body, even though you're like, Oh, disgusting. You, um, you do it anyway. And guess you what? get over it. <laughs> you get over it. And amazingly similar to how alcohol numbs the stress and anxiety and makes you like, wow, your, your brain learns, this makes me feel better. Your brain learns that this is the antidote to stress, but then as soon as that drink leaves your system, it brings you back down below par. Alcohol numbs the feelings of alcohol. So your body and brain are under serious amounts of of physical and mental stress when you're hungover. And so when you don't drink when you're hungover, you don't teach yourself that lesson. But then when you're on Mm -hmm. vacation and you do drink when you're hungover, you teach yourself subconsciously this lesson that, ah, there's a cure for this horrible feeling. And that yep. cure is alcohol. And so you end up doing the thing, hair of the dog, doing the thing that ended up making you feel bad. And then that's where the problems start is because you are drinking to numb the feeling of the hangover. 
And then it becomes harder and harder and harder to get out of that as, as much. And it's funny because people who binge drink or drink lots on one occasion and then feel horrible and then say, oh, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that for a long time. You know, they think, okay, well, I don't have a problem because I can really stop for many periods of time, right? Exactly. So it really prevents yeah. us from thinking we have a problem. Equally, people like me who drink regularly every single night, I certainly thought I didn't have a problem because I was so on top of everything. Like I was so on mm -hmm. top of everything in my life. I was like, oh, well, I'm never the one falling over drunk. I'm never the one slurring my words in public. So that, yeah. I don't have a problem. Yep. So like alcohol deceives both types into thinking that the alcohol is completely, you know, safe and innocuous. So that's really interesting. Um, question for you. So when your dad died and you were drinking every day, and it might be hard to remember, but back to, to that point in your life, do you feel like the alcohol was helping? I mean, was it was it turning off the grief? No, um, it would feel better temporarily. But then I would just I, I was so teary all the time. So here I was under the influence of alcohol and crying and feeling so incapable of just, you know, I had three kids at home and I was trying to, you know, deal with my family and my husband. And yeah, no, it, it just made it worse. It exacerbated the guilt, the, the grief by adding guilt to it. Mm, yeah. And feeling unable to cope otherwise, like if I wasn't doing that, what was I going to do? Right, right. Yeah. And then, um, so, so we fast forward a little bit, and, and you start to say, okay, I, I, I'm sick of feeling guilty. I feel like I'm not being kind of my best self. So, so what, what initial actions did you take? Where did you start to sniff around for, for getting yourself, um, getting yourself out of it? Well, you know, I, I did read, um, Alan Carr's book. No, oh, love Alan um, Carr. Yeah, but I, I actually did it for, um, I was, I had a new partner at that time. And I did it because I considered that my partner had a serious drinking problem, which was actually true. Um, but I didn't really do it for myself. And I never really lost the temptation. Like I resisted the temptation for, for over a year. Wow. But then that relationship ended and I started again because, you know, obviously I didn't have a problem. Um, and uh, and it escalated from there. And even when I first heard about your book, and I'm not even sure how it happened, it was just something online that I saw. And I listened to your whole thing about your video course and thought, well, this would be really good for some people. You know, it's a good thing I'm, you know, I'm okay. Um, and then I had an experience the very last night that I drank um, I was out with friends and I disclosed something to this, this, these two people and f came home and felt so guilty about it that I had done this and I would never have done that if I hadn't been drinking. And um, I decided to have a glass of vodka just to drown those feelings and it tasted so horrible that I poured it down the sink and that was the last drink that wow. I ever had. Wow. And I didn't even know at the time. I, I It was not like, okay, I'm quitting. It was just, ugh, this is so foul. And the next day I thought, wow, I need to read that book I just heard about. 
and I and so I did, and I I've listened to it like three times, and um, it was it just so reinforced for me. Well, like there was an epiphany, and then I just kept reinforcing it because I felt that it was so important to keep on doing that conditioning and to not let the alcohol thoughts creep in again and hijack my brain and make me decide that it would be a good idea to just have one here and there because I don't want to now. And I think that's the thing is that we live in this culture that, you know, really makes it such a good idea and, and we're, we're bombarded with stuff. And, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, but I come from a um, background of, of advertising and marketing. And um, so you know, I'm very familiar with the fact that advertising agencies have psychologists on staff who are looking at, you know, pulling how to influence human behavior. I mean, it's a very methodical Mm -hmm. scientific thing. And as humans, we don't want to imagine that we are ever sold to or influenced. That is just our natural, of course not. We're independent thinkers. Um, The studies show that that we're absolutely not independent thinkers. We're we're much more akin to sheep than we'd ever like to admit. But Mm -hmm. um, the, the interesting thing is that in the midst of believing we're not being influenced, we truly are, you know, and if you just look at the statistics of um, how much money is spent in the United States on alcohol advertising, it is more than any other thing, period. Um, Second is cars. And it is, they wouldn't do that if it didn't work, you know, Mm -hmm. and and they can't actually do it in the UK anymore. It's, it's been banned alcohol advertising in the UK because it became such a national health crisis that um, they've actually banned it. But I think you're right, like just constantly being on your guard and against the unconscious conditioning. And another thing I love about your story is that, you know, I am of such, I feel like I, and I say this all the time, I feel like I got off the train before it even went into the tunnel, much less before it went off the rails, right? And and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that, um, but our society it does this. It says, if somebody wants to start questioning their drinking because of this whole story we've built up around the fact that certain people are alcoholics and other people aren't, you know, we've, we've said, it's like this, you, you're starting to feel like your wrist is a bit sore. Um, you're not really liking your drinking so much. So you go, you go to Google or to the doctor or whoever, and, and the doctor says, okay, well, we need to amputate your arm. You need to never, mm-hmm. ever drink again. And then you say, oh, no, 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 no deal. And so you go back into your life and and then all of a sudden your elbow's starting to hurt. And then you go back to the doctor. Oh, well, we need to amputate your arm. It's this black and white thing. Oh, no, no, no. And then eventually your arm is, is, you know, kind of totally black and and hanging. And then you say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to amputate my arm. Like, why do we have to go there? Like, why, why can't we just have a conversation about your wrist being sore um, and, and not make it so scary? So what I love about your story is that I feel like you truly were, you know, not, um, there isn't some huge rock bottom. There isn't some big no. moment of, of it's, it's a very thoughtful and empowered choice that you made, you know, when, when you had a sore wrist, which just gives me chills to be honest. Mm. Yeah. And I always thought you'd have to have a real rock bottom to be able to stop. And it's not, it's just not always the case. Where do you think that that idea comes from? Well, from the brainwashing, from the conditioning, and that creates such a stigma 
about a problem with alcohol, like it's a moral failing that, you know, I certainly wouldn't ever have wanted to admit to it. But just to acknowledge that, hey, you know, my aunt became addicted to morphine in the hospital. It's not a moral failing. It's just what happens. So if if we drink alcohol, we're all at risk of developing, you know, a serious addiction. Yeah, alcohol is addictive. I mean, it's certainly different. You know, alcohol is something that we take orally and then it gets absorbed in a much different way into our bloodstream than something that we inject, like morphine, in the hospital. So there's yeah. a longer process and it's a process that because we have this kind of cultural norm of only drinking in the evenings and, you know, different things, um, it's not like being injected with morphine, certainly, in the sense that how quickly it can happen is very, very different. Equally, you know, when you go and you drink for two weeks straight because of a tragedy and you're drinking every single day, or when you start, you know, addiction, alcohol is addictive. I mean, there's a lot of controversy about alcohol. There's a lot of different studies. There's studies that say it's some, it's good for you in moderation. There's studies that, Mm -hmm. you know, say this, but the one thing that is agreed upon is that it is addictive. It triggers Mm -hmm. all the same addictive mechanisms within our body that heroin does, that cocaine does, that morphine does. And, um, Mm -hmm. and in fact, it's far more deadly, you know, in our society than any of those drugs by, by many multiples, um, which I think is, is very interesting. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, so what does, you know, one of the hardest things, there's two questions I, I just love asking everybody who comes on the show. And, and that's um, what is one of the hardest things is just acclimating into your normal life in terms of telling your friends and, and talking to people. And, and how do you deal with when somebody offers you a drink? So I'd love to hear how you navigate this. Well, I found and I have a, a pretty active social life. But I found that, especially in a larger gathering, nobody notices anyway. So I'm not explaining it to anyone. Um, one of my my very best friends who I get together with every couple of months, she doesn't live in the same city, and we have always shared a bottle of wine our first night together. It's just been such a ritual. And so the idea of not doing that, uh, I was feeling a little bit of anxiety, even though she's such a good friend, but was feeling a little anxious about talking to her about it. And and the first thing she said when I did talk to her was, well, I guess we won't be having that bottle of wine together anymore. And um, But in the end, she was very, very supportive. And I know that she'll be looking at her own drinking in, and is definitely looking at her own drinking now. So for me, the danger is to get preachy or self-righteous about it. And I know that I really have to guard against that because I can be like an evangelist about Mm. stuff that I really believe in. And so this is a really great opportunity for me to curb that impulse and to just remember, keep reminding myself that I was there and I, I was convinced that cutting back could be done. Um, I was convinced that, you know, I was so good to myself in other ways that alcohol was not a problem for me. And just to keep remembering that and to keep my humility about it and uh, to just talk about my own experience, not about anybody else. 
not anybody else at all, but like it was not working for me and it was a really good decision to stop. And I'm so happy with my decision and to just leave it at that. And if people want to ask more about it, because some people have, they really want to know. And those are the people who are generally really supportive and that really get it. Um, but the people who want to pressure me to have a drink, you know, I'm not interested in discussing it with them. Um, because they're not at a place where they really want to hear what I have to say. Yeah, and I think and that that good. really hasn't happened. So I've I've been lucky that way. I think that's so true. I mean, I feel like people have different motivations, you know, and some people's motivations in asking you about it are are quite sincere. Some people's yeah. motivations are actually just to prove to themselves that you had a problem, so that they exactly. can justify their own drinking. And yep. you know. Um, I'm certainly not into being shamed about this. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Those conversations are one that I, I don't really want to have. I had an interesting, similar experience. I had a good friend um, who we've been friends since kindergarten. So, I mean, really good long-term friend. And um, all of a sudden she stopped coming around. And like two years, I just, she used to just like, her and her family would come and stay with us. And granted, she'd always stay with us and, and we'd always get, you know, quite drunk and play poker. And, um, <laughs> and she just stopped, she just found other places to stay. And so, um, I didn't think too much of it. I, I was like, okay, like I get it. You want to stay with other people or whatever. And then, um, let's see about two years later, she finally had a conversation with me and she said, you know, I've just been so afraid that without the, to the margaritas, we wouldn't have had the same level of fun at your house and, and same mm -hmm. level of relationship. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've known you since we were four years old. Mm -hmm. Like we had slumber parties and laughed until two in the morning. Like mm -hmm. our friendship is not based on margaritas, you know? And I, I realize it's in some cases, that's certainly true. Friendships are based on margaritas, but mm -hmm. the fear <laughs> around thinking, and I think it's true for so many things. We believe that these certain things are based on alcohol when the truth is like we've rekindled a brilliant friendship and it's better, you know, um, now almost four years later because she and I have been transparent about this issue. And, um, yeah, the last time she was down, she spent the night with her, her kids and man, we just hammed it up all night long. It was, it was one of the most enjoyable times we were cracking up and, and also getting into really deep conversations about, you know, different things in our, our culture, which, which we might not have done as much when we were drinking. Cause it was just more about like the drinking games, but that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so the last question I have for you is, and I ask this, I try to ask this of everybody. Um, but you know, now on this side, we all have so much apprehension about, about, um, even trialing an alcohol free period because of all these reasons we were just discussing. So on this side of the fence, what would you tell Maureen from drinking Maureen about uh, the fears that she had and, and what life is like? Uh, well, the number one thing I would say is that cutting down and trying to moderate is so much more difficult than just quitting. Like once the decision was made, the, there was just no more of that, that back and forth and should I have another one and I should stop now and it won't hurt. I'll just have one more and, or I won't drink today at all. It like all of those conversations that were so exhausting and there's so much freedom in just saying I'm done. 
that's it. And it's not even like I need to, I wouldn't have needed to say to myself, um, you can never have another drink. But actually that you won't want to have another one. It's just not. And already I feel like um, there's just, there's no temptation. I, I can't imagine there will be again. I mean, I suppose it's possible. Um, I'll, I'll just get the book out and read it again. <laughs> to reinforce awesome. for myself, no, wait a minute, that's just a temporary thought, and it, it will it will leave. Yeah, and I it think will that leave, that's... and then the next morning you'll wake up and say, oh, I'm so glad I didn't drink, because I think that every day it's 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 like it's the first thought when I wake up in the morning, I feel so good and I am so happy I did this. Right, that's so awesome. And yeah. I think you're right. I think that if, you know, if we approach this, the barrier to this amazing, amazing life for me, for so many other, was this idea of never again, because yeah. that seems so terrifying and it seems so big and so huge and it seemed just so not what we needed. And, um, and then the joy of, of finding out like, wow, it, at the end of the day, it isn't about telling myself I can never do this again. It's about coming to a place of knowledge and awareness to where I just want something more with all of me. Yeah. There isn't any of me that feels deprived or like I'm missing out. It's just that all yeah. of me wants something more. And even now, if I was to say, okay, like I'm pretty careful to say like, you know, I, I don't drink and, and I'm happy about that. I'm thrilled about that. But also just even to my subconscious, I'm not going to sit here and say, I can never have another drink. Because I feel like my personality type, and by the way, the human genome almost is programmed to say, rebel, rebel, rebel. Yes, <laughs> you yes. Know? But every day I'm like, wow, oh, I, don't, I don't want a drink. And to be honest, I don't you know, even think about it every day anymore. I just like, it's just this very natural thing to be like, why in the world would I ever yeah. put that into my body? I, no, no, nothing could make me do that. But but it is such a choice and an empowering choice instead of a have to, you know, and I think just even changing that language to I, I never, I never have to drink again, instead of I never get to drink again is just yeah. really a cool thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, cool. and the money that you save as an extra bonus, I mean, yeah. I, it's so great. I can go out to the bar with my friends and have a great night and see a show. And, you know, I spent $10. Yeah, yeah, it's so awesome. In, instead of, you know, 50 or 60 it, it's it feels so good to do that. Oh, it's amazing. My husband and I got back from a vacation. We took our kids to um, to the beach. And we were just, you know, it was already expensive, right? And then we're just realizing, we're like, oh, my gosh, like, Every time we go and we just save hundreds and hundreds of dollars yeah. we've saved on this vacation. And then we use it to do fun other stuff, you know, like, yeah. okay, we'll now we're going to indulge ourselves with, with the massage or with, you know, the dolphin tour, or what, whatever mm -hmm. the case is, right? Mm -hmm. And it's... And you it's know, another so cool. interesting thing I wanted to mention, because I know that some people get um, sugar cravings when mm -hmm. they quit drinking. Mm -hmm. And I found the opposite, that... Once I remove that source of sugar from my diet, my other sugar cravings died with it. So I really, I, I don't have any desire to eat sugar. And I know that's not true for everybody, but that was certainly a big bonus for me because I certainly had a sweet tooth and I just don't now. I think that was, um, it took a long time for me. And I think people get, and I don't know enough about this to like be 
kind of giving a, a official perspective, but in my just gut feeling, you know, there's so much sugar in any type of alcohol, so many simple carbohydrates, yeah. and simple sugars, that when you stop it abruptly, you create this deficit and sugar, just like anything else, you know, um, your body's been compensating for it. So when you have this deficit, it, it throws it kind of off kilter. So I think, yeah, very early days, having sugar cravings is completely normal. Um, but equally, once your sugar cravings come from eating sugar or drinking sugar. So once you're not drinking a huge source of sugar, your whole body balances out and, and, you know, maintains homeostasis. So at first, you know, I, I just gave in to all my sugar cravings because I figured, Hey, I'm doing such a monumental thing with the drinking that I'm going to be really gentle with myself in every other regard, but very similar, you know, where I used to want to go out and drink a Shirley temple in place of my drink, which is huge sugar drink. Mm -hmm. You know, now I just want nice tea or a soda you know, with, with lime, you know, so yeah, yeah, there's no, no sugar cravings anymore, which is, yeah, but it took, it took kind of getting, getting over the hump, but yeah, that's a great point. What a, what a nice, um, added benefit. Yes, absolutely. And, and to just drop a few pounds without even thinking about it, yeah. uh, you know, so, so I, I just feel so I, I've been so health conscious for so many years and have a great diet and do all the right things and work out and etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but except for this little thing called a drinking issue and uh, now I feel like wow my integrity is now intact in this area I can I can say there is no except for it's like everything I do is benefiting my health physically and mentally so that that is that's such a hit that's so empowering to that's a really good point I mean I think of um how many people can say that right like for so many years we have these things that we have this idea of ourselves how we kind of want to be right we all have this idea of you know, I want to be this person that, that truly takes care of their body and that, you know, whatever, whatever your things are that you want to have in your life. Um, but then we all have these things that we're like, but I'm not giving this one up. You know, I'm not giving this thing up. Yes. So I'm going to be this person yeah. in all these other areas, but I'm not going to give this one up. And I'll compensate and, for that. Yeah. Right. And drinking was my, but, but I'm always going to be a drinker. I'm not going to give that one up. You know, that's, yeah. that's not going to yeah. be it. And then how on the other side, you know, not only have I have I done that, but all these other things that I used to do that I wasn't quite happy about have also just kind of disappeared in a way. And and so how many people can truly say like, wow, I live in an area of integrity where there's there's really not a lot that I'm doing that I'm kind of like, well, that's just the one thing that I'm just yeah. going to not give up. Yeah, and not spending that mental energy worrying about it and justifying it and compensating for it that mm. I mean that was it it had to be exhausting me because I have so much more energy now that I don't have to think about that yeah yeah so much more mental space it's it's amazing yeah. it really is yeah. it really yeah. is oh that's so cool yeah well this has been such a joy anything else Maureen you'd like to say to the audience um well just that the getting support is so important and and I'm on the uh, you know the app the naked mind app and um, I check in with that not as frequently as I did right in the beginning but I'm still quite active on there 
And it's just, it's great to be able to say encouraging words to other people who are considering this path um, or who have just started um, and to just reinforce that, yes, there is a growing community of people who are waking up to the truth about alcohol. And uh, it's so exciting that this is going to go the way that smoking did. I really mm. believe that. Mm. And, and, and I'm starting to see it more. Like when I tell certain friends that I've quit drinking and they say, well, I've been thinking about that too. Or, or, or I have other friends who've been saying the same thing. And to, to get, to really get that, um, I think most people who drink are, are worried about it to some extent, even mm. if they don't acknowledge it, even if they're very moderate, there's still, there's no safe level. And that, that's what the science is showing that it raises our cancer risk, even if you're really moderate. So why would we do that? Right. Yeah. Especially Only when you see the benefits you think you're getting are really just, um, I mean, they're really illusory. Yeah. 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 Totally. That's yeah. Amazing. It's so cool. I agree yeah, so with you. It's I like think a it's really changing. Yeah, it's a it's a huge consciousness raising that's happening on the planet right now in this area, and uh, I'm very excited about it. Oh, that's so cool. Me too. Thrilled. It's just awesome. It's it's awesome. And I mean, I was reading something on Facebook. It was just one guy's opinion, and he had commented on something I had posted. But he was basically saying that he had done some look at it historically, and so many cultures have had a downfall in alcohol and he cited like the Roman empire and, you know, mm. to some extent, um, or just different cultures that have had a downfall through drinking and wow. well, how, um, and it's really encouraging to see that, like, I know, especially in the UK, like that culture is actually really becoming massively conscious about alcohol and interestingly and, the younger generation as well is, is and, very and conscious. Eastern Europe, mm. which has some of the highest alcohol consumption in the world. And look at what, look at what's happening there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So, you know, who would have related those things, but there's a big connection, I think. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, well, this has been great, Maureen. Thank you so much for taking the time. And You're yeah, so welcome, really and thank it. you. All thank right. you. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.